American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Two, two Welcome back to another Baseball America Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. With J.J. Cooper alongside today, we're going to be talking some Tigers prospects. One of the top 10 systems in the minor leagues. Uh, J.J., we were talking about this off air. One of the themes I think here is sort of the redo, if you want to call it that, on the rebuild. This team's been in a rebuild for quite a long time, but they have a new front office now. What's the direction of the team? Where are they headed in 24? So if you want to be optimistic about it, and I actually am kind of optimistic about this rebuild, they've probably done it in the order that you need to do it, which is, I, I would say that the the initial part of the rebuild was very pitching heavy. It was getting Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize and those kind of guys up to the big leagues, which then most of those guys got hurt. But it was about getting those guys up and then you looked around and said, which has kind of, I think, been the problem for the Tigers for much of the 21st century, is, is you looked around and said, there's just not a whole lot of bats here. Obviously, there was Riley Green. They brought Spencer Torkelson. But this has remained a pretty inept offense overall, I would say. And where you are now in the rebuild is not that there's not a Jackson Joe, but this is a very hitting heavy top 30, top 10. And if you said, who are the guys who are around the corner? Yeah, they still have, again, Job, Ty Madden. We could talk about some other pitchers, but the guys who are going to make the biggest impact in the system largely are bats with some, maybe some defensive question marks in some cases. But that's, that's encouraging to me because if I look at this Tiger system, the biggest problem they have, and I'd say their biggest need is they need to really bulk up, improve the lineup. And, and there, I think there are some guys here who should be able to do that. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about some players who could potentially contribute here in 24. Um, the big one, I don't think we're uh, breaking any news here. Colt Keith signs the extension before the season. Obviously hasn't debuted yet at the major league level. I think I looked at it the other day, and he's the seventh or eighth highest paid player on the Tigers' active roster uh, this season or, you know, 40-man roster this season. I would assume that he's up. Do you think Colt Keith can contribute from day one? And what type of player are we looking at early on? The biggest thing that we're going to have to see is, is how well can he contribute defensively? I'm not, I'm not that worried about his ability to hit. And I know that I, I, if I kick that ping pong back to you, Jeff, I feel very confident that you like his ability to hit. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that, you know, dating back to the half season we really saw in 2022, there was really encouraging data um, that continued and held strong throughout a larger sample. He got better as the season went on, which I think shows some adjustments, some learning capability, some settling in, which is all good traits for uh, a potential major leaguer and a prospect to have. But there's a really nice combination at the root of all of it in terms of averages bat-to-ball skills. I think he clears that threshold in terms of the amount of bat-to-ball you want to have, whether that's in zone or just overall. Um, doesn't chase a lot, um, but he's not overly passive. Um, he does attack pitches inside the zone. He swings at strikes on a regular basis. The stuff that he swings at, outside the zone tends to be more shadow zone type stuff. He's not often beat and there's strength and underlying power that has kind of been there since, you know, he was a, a young prep pick back in 2020. Um, so he's progressed along nicely. I think the biggest question has always been the defensive side of things, but offensively, do I think he sets the world on fire as a rookie? Maybe not. Um, but I do think that like second half of the season, this could be a guy that surges a little bit if they ride him out and uh, you know, the investment's been there by the Tigers, obviously. And, and let's be clear, he doesn't have to set the world on fire to be one of the better hitters in the Tigers lineup. That's been the problem year after year after year is that this Detroit lineup, they have not produced many homegrown hitters, especially homegrown hitters with any kind of staying power 
in the 21st century. And they've had, if you look back at last year, there just were too many days, but there were too many below average hitters in this lineup. I know that the, the park does not help for that. It's, it's very helpful for pitching, I would say, most of the time. But if you can get a Colt Keith, if you can get a Jace Young, if you can get a Justin Henry Malloy to park, and Parker Meadows, I think, is going to be gloved first, but with enough offense, that's, that's four guys who could all be up in 2024 who are in their top 10, who have a chance, I would say, especially in three of the four cases, to be better, more well-rounded hitters than many of the players that they will be replacing or potentially replacing in the Tigers lineup. And Detroit is not going to hit on all of them. That's just not the way this works. But if can Detroit can hit on two, three of those guys, then have kind of a, you know, a Max Clark coming up behind them and, and guys like that, there, I just feel like that there's a shift in the philosophy of this organization when it comes to, with the new regime, I think they're looking for a very different type of player than they were looking for five, 10 years ago. And uh, often in the draft, when you say, what, what were they looking for five, 10 years ago? The thing I would say is, is they were looking for SEC arms. They might be relieving, you know, reliever risk type arms, but they just went to that well over and over. But when they went with hitters, it was more of kind of athleticism and tools. And there are advantages to going that route. But I would say with the Tigers, they probably went that route a little too much. Now that there's more of kind of a shifted emphasis to we want guys who can hit. And in a lot of these cases, guys who can hit. And then you say, well, what is their defensive value? Where are they going to play? That's more of the question. Now the So there's going to be this developmental part of this, which is, can they now get these hitters to a point where they're at least playable, semi-productive at positions of need rather than it, it can't be that it this would this will not work very well if at the end of the day we say that Colt Keith and Jace Young and Justin Henry Malloy all are poor enough defensively that they end up being first baseman DH types. You have to get some of these guys to be more than that. That's, I think, the question that we are kind of facing here. But there's less of a question now about can these guys hit big league pitching, which has been kind of the the big question with a lot of Tigers prospects in, in, in past years. Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at the top 10 of the system, there's seven position players here. Um I, you know, fair amount of recent acquisitions that are within that mix. Uh, outside of a handful of guys that you mentioned with defensive concerns, there's also a solid amount of up the middle players here, shortstops, you know, catcher um, and center fielders potentially as well. So I think there's, you know, potentially some excitement there. I also think it compares and contrasts pretty well with the previous rebuild where at the height of it, a lot of it was based around, those arms and arm talent, we've really only seen Turk Skubal um, succeed at the major league level, even though it hasn't been for a sustained period. We've seen some spurts from Casey Mize and then Matt Manning's obviously another story, but um, it's just interesting to compare and contrast because this team has been in a rebuild and like almost redone in terms of the rebuild multiple times now. So uh, I find that to be very interesting. JJ, any other opening thoughts on this Tiger system? Otherwise, I'd say we could jump into a quick break and start jumping into some prospects. Yeah, before we do that, the, the thing when I look at the overview overall, the two things that do jump out. One, man, it's nice. We I think we say this on almost every AL Central podcast, but man, it's nice to be in the AL Central because <laughs> if you asked me where Detroit is, and if you said, and they're like, we plop them in, the AL East, the NL East, the AL West, the NL West. Maybe it's a little bit less the NL Central. But in those four divisions, I would be much more pessimistic about this because I would probably look at it and say, okay, there's a chance that for something here, but I don't think that there's enough here to be a, a, a team that can beat the, again, just pick whichever division you're talking about they're not going to catch the Braves or they're not going to catch the, the, the Rays and the Yankees and the Orioles. And they're not going to catch the Astros and the Rangers, you know, the Dodgers are far, all that. They don't have to catch them. Mm. They have to catch the twins. 
who are reducing payroll from where they were last year. They have to stay, they caught the Guardians last year, who have been kind of one of the, the more dominant teams in this division, but dominant does not mean in many cases winning 90 games in, in some cases. So, yeah. so the, the bar is lower here, and that's where I do think that this team actually has a, a chance. If you ask me to pick my surprise teams for 2024, I don't want to go too far on a limb for the Tigers. They weren't particularly good last year. I don't think I, I don't think that you want to say that Tarek Skubal is going to come back and be a, an ace this year. I don't think that Casey Mize is ready to be a number two. There's there are still plenty of concerns here. We just listed that they could have they could in the second half of the year have four rookies in the lineup on a lot of nights. That's not the kind of team that you often describe as one that's going to be challenging for a, a you know for a pennant challenging for a division title but considering this division considering that this is a division where if they can get to 86 87 88 wins that might be enough i I'm, i am kind of cautiously optimistic because i do think that this also is a team that had fixable problems in recent years mm -hmm. and i feel like that they have some players lined up who might be able to fix some of those problems the fixable problems being that it was a rather punchless lineup with a lot of uh, a lot of guys that you would rather be hitting seventh eighth or ninth than three four five and they've got guys coming up and if you said okay where is this system one that's going to be able to to add more as the season goes along I don't think it's it's crazy to think that Ty Madden might be able to contribute at some point, you know, before the season's over. Jackson Job, maybe. I mean, that's the guy who could be. Let's just be clear. That's just kind of a nice little segue as we get ready to to dive in. That's a guy who you can be very optimistic about. But even further than that, like let's see what they've got from a Justice Big V in year two mm -hmm. of it and things like that. There's yeah. a lot more here to be optimistic and get excited about, I feel like, than there was doing the system, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, and there's actually some decent pitching depth. Tarek Skubal is obviously the headliner here. Um, he may not be an ace, but I do think that there are some out there uh, that think he probably has that upside if he can, you know, maintain health and show what he showed over the second half of last year. Um, they signed Jack Flaherty as a bounce-back candidate. We'll see there. Uh, they signed Kenta Maeda, um, who's been a, a solid rotation piece for a long time. Reese Olsen had a pretty nice season last year and, and showed some flashes. And then, you know, we mentioned Matt Manning. You know, we mentioned Casey Mize. They still have Wilmer Flores, who's on the 40-man roster. They have Sawyer Gibson-Long, who showed well over the end of last season. He's in the 40-man roster. Guys like Fiedo and even like a Kyder Montero on the 40-man roster who maybe ends up in the bullpen. But um, all guys that could inject something into this pitching core this year. And uh, the bullpen wasn't bad at the back end, and they added a couple guys in the middle and Chafin and Shelby Miller, um, who could be decent as well. So this could be a sneaky team, and outside of a couple of spots, they're they're pretty solid defensively up the middle. So, yeah, I you know, it, it's the AL Central, and it's one of those things where, like, anything could happen, and I think I think you're kind of right. Not that they're going to compete for a title, but – they could hang around and be a 500 team. I don't think it would be a huge shock if a few things go the right way and they get some better health circumstances than they had in 2023. Um, that being and said, get Joe, a bounce back. Like, like yeah. they've got some, they got some players. Like I am not expecting Javier Baez to ever have a season where he's one of the best shortstops in baseball. I don't <laughs> think that that's realistic, especially at his age and all that, but he can be better than he was last year. I think that that's possible. They have guys like that as well, where there could be bounce back candidates as well that could, again, add a little bit of potential optimism to this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that being said, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into this Tigers list. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, and we're back. J.J. Cooper, Jeff Ponce here, talking Tigers prospects. We're diving into an exciting top 10. Kind of left some of these names out. I know we mentioned Jackson Job, who's ranked here at two. But the number one Tigers prospect is a name that we haven't brought up yet in the show. Um, Max Clark, by, considered by many to be maybe the top player, a player in the draft. Um, one of the more exciting, more famous names that we've come across in the draft on the high school side in quite a long time. Um, but he's an excited left-handed hitting talent opportunity to stick in the middle of the uh, outfield and center field. What are your thoughts on Max Clark and how did he push his way to the top of this Tiger system where it's pretty loaded? It's pretty loaded. I think you could make an argument for him or Jackson Job at one. I, I think as generally, I would say that Ty goes to the position player in those cases, just because there's so much less injury risk. It is going to be fascinating over the next five, 10 years Max Clark, Walker Jenkins. They both, they were the two best prep bats in last year's class. I don't think with, you know, any question. On top of that, they, they were both picked by teams in the AL Central. So there's going to be a, a good bit of kind of comparison back and forth. Who ends up being the better, better player? I would say that no, and the Tigers chose Clark, right? The, the the twins are kind of in the the very comfortable position here, right? Because if Clark ends up being better, they can say we chose Jenkins, but Jenkins was the only one available at our pick. The Tigers chose Clark, having a choice of, of both of them. And you can make the argument that the, the reason to take Max Clark over Walker Jenkins is kind of, I would say, a defensive value one, in that Max Clark should be a surefire, above average or better center fielder. And you could say that Walker Jenkins could play center, but could long-term is probably more of kind of that prototypical right fielder. The, the interesting debate about this is going to be, okay, but does Jenkins bat, is Jenkins power difference enough to make up for that difference? And, we we have Jenkins ranked higher than Clark right now. I, at this moment, I would probably say I'd rather have Jenkins than Clark, but it's not a, again, that's not a slam dunk. And we are very early in this discussion. These are two players who both just got a little bit of time in pro ball last year in their draft year. We'll know a lot more three months from now, four months from now. We'll really know a lot more if we're talking about this at this time next year than we do right now, just because we're going to have a lot more information about how these guys handle pro ball. But to kind of kick it back to you, Jeff, for you, Max Clark Walker Jenkins, who, who are you taking and why? 
Sure. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's it's Jenkins, um, the combination of hit tool, power potential, and still an outside shot that he could play maybe an average center field, which we talked about in the Twins podcast, I think is too enticing. Now, I also uh, understand from the other side of it, you don't draft for need, but I do think at times you draft in areas where you're lacking. And if you take a look at this Tigers top 30 outside of Parker Meadows, who's at the major league level. And I think you can debate what the offensive upside is long-term with Meadows. Um, some fall on the more positive side, some for, fall, fall more on the average sort of hitter side. Mac, well, some fall on the below average hitter side. Let me yeah. be clear. And with, I think, yeah, that. and some people do. And I think that Max Clark offers a player who is an up the middle defensive center fielder could be above average to plus maybe better long-term has the speed, but also has hitting ability, whether it's, you know, hitting for contact, getting on base. And I do think that, you know, maybe it's not going to be 60 power long-term. There is some power there um, and it's going to play. So I think he's something that they didn't have in this organization and haven't had in a while. Riley Green, I think was a surprisingly good outfielder for a lot of people and a surprisingly good athlete was obviously a hit tool first sort of guy, the way he was built. There were a lot of skills there, but you'd rather have Riley Green in right field and another center fielder, right? I mean, that's kind of how I think things play out. So I can understand why the Tigers made the pick there. I think at the time of the draft, it was kind of a pick for a lot of people with a lot of the, the room probably would lean Max Clark. So, you know, I think that we saw the debut. We saw what Jenkins did. Um you know, I don't know if there were some health concerns, too. This is something that kind of doesn't come up with Jenkins, but I know talking to Carlos last year prior to the draft and throughout the cycle, Jenkins had some injuries and stuff that he dealt with. So there were some questions there. You know, that really wasn't an issue with Clark. He's a guy that seemingly was on a baseball field every time you went on to any social media during the spring last year. Long tracker of Clark. I, I noticed how you worded that. I, I'm, I'm parsing your words there. You said at the time of the draft. Because I do think if you asked me, and I think if you asked you, why would we put Jenkins ahead of Clark? To me, it is very early in their pro careers. But Jenkins, not just statistically, but Jenkins' debut was exceptionally loud in pro ball. And Clark's was not. And that's, you don't want to overweight that in any way, shape, or form because we are talking about in the course of a pro career, the smallest of small samples. Yeah. But that being said, if you said, well, why Jenkins today over Clark? The, a lot of it does stem from anyone I talked to who saw Jenkins in his pro debut, pick their job off the floor. And that wasn't always the case with Clark. So again, I, I don't want to talk too much about Jenkins. This is a Tigers <laughs> podcast, but I, am I fair in, in parsing your words that when you said like it was a pick them at the draft? Yeah. I feel like right now that there is a little bit more of like maybe it's Jenkins over over Clark at this moment, and then we'll see if six months or a year from now that's flipped again. That's the perception publicly at the moment. And I think within the industry, you know, behind the scenes, it seems like that's the perception, but it's only perception, you know, <laughs> that can and change very quickly. And, and that's where I want to kind of ask you. I mean, I'm going to talk about Job too, but as our kind of pitching guru guy, Jeff, I want to ask you about Jackson Job because as good as Clark is, I could easily just as easily make the argument for Job number one. Mm -hmm. And Job, I would say right now, if he can stay healthy, which is always a giant if with pitching prospect, but if he can stay healthy, he ranks, he is among the best pitching prospects in the minors right now. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think however you line him up, he ends up in everyone's list. Um, you know, Andrew Painter obviously is in the shelf. We probably won't see him till the end of 2024. Um, Job has an opportunity, I think, to truly pass him in rankings right now. In my rankings, I did have him as the number one pitching prospect, so I agree with that. But I also think it's a nice segue here. We just talked about perception, JJ, and we talked about a pick that the Tigers made over another player that maybe there's some debate on it now. 
there was a lot of debate about Jackson Job over Marcelo Meyer. And I think with a year hindsight, looking back, would you now have made that pick and taken Job over, over Meyer? Again, it's one of those that I think that you know, these are both elite prospects, both rank incredibly highly on our top 100. So there is no wrong answer. That being said, it's everything's constructed there to make that uh, easy to second guess one. To take the prep right-hander over the shortstop, like that's always going to get questioned. Mm-hmm. And to Job's credit, even with the, you know, missing some time, they both have had injury issues so far, yes. neither of which are hopefully going to be long-term injury issues, more of short-term things that slowed them down so far. But right now, I mean, Job had the better year in 23. I mean, there's no question about that. The trajectory's so headed upward. And the thing that stood out to me about it, and this I do believe is, is kind of also, you see this, it is a point of emphasis in the Tigers system, the development emphasis is they want to make sure that their pitchers have ways to attack both same side hitters and when they don't have the platoon advantage. And that is something where you, when you watch Jackson Job, this isn't a guy who's just going out there with one way to attack hitters. He has multiple ways. Yeah, Yeah. He has multiple ways and he can, he can use different quadrants of the zone. He can give you different looks. He can give you a different look the first time he faces you and the second time he faces you, where he has those starter traits. And when we say starter traits, that makes it sound like I don't want to make it someone hearing this think, oh, so he's he's pitting spots and his stuff's okay and all. We're saying starter traits, and then you say, oh, yeah, by the way, with some of the best pure stuff in baseball. Yeah, and their their strike throwing ability too. I think that's the thing I I came away most impressed. It's just a matter, and we hear this a lot with pitching prospects who have great stuff and they show this in a limited sort of workload. He's got to build up the workload. That's the biggest thing. He can do this and he can do this for 100, 120 innings in 2025. Like get up build up to 150 by like 2026. I think this is a guy that can be a potential difference maker. And if you have Tarek Skubal buzzing at that point, and he becomes what a lot of people think he could become, then that rotation falls into place pretty nicely. Um, I think it's, yeah, he, he to me is really exciting. And I think it's funny because looking back, I would take Job over Meyer now. And that's not necessarily as much of a knock on Meyer as it is, you know, speaking to the level of prospect that Job is, it's not very often that you see a, a prep pitcher, even a couple years removed from the draft, establish himself like this. It's just a matter of building up those innings and staying healthy, which we've seen has been a bugaboo for guys like this. So, you know, that's that's where I get worried. That's where I would say, like, yeah. I'm probably still not ready to say I would definitely take Job over Meyer for that one simple reason, which is, is if you took this, what we're talking about right now for Jackson Job. And admittedly, we had less data, we had less info, but if you said this and said, now we're doing a Forrest Whitley Astros podcast from, (laughs) what, six years ago now? We'd be saying all the same things. And then all of a sudden it gets derailed. And there were other things with Whitley, but a lot of it being injuries. Mm -hmm. And the thing, when we, if we were talking last year at this time about Andrew Painter, we'd be saying all the same things and saying, if he can stay healthy. And now we're hoping that we get to see a really fully healthy painter in 2025. So there's always that that nagging concern just because it is so hard for young pitchers to like, okay, to take another way. I'll be even more depressing in some ways. If we were talking about Mike Soroka, different type of pitcher, but Mike Soroka a year into his big league career, I would be like, this is credit to the Braves. They can develop, they can develop a Mike Soroka and Ian Anderson prep pitchers in a way that other teams can't. And now here we are a couple of years later and it's like, man, we saw probably, unfortunately, I hope not, but we may have seen the best of Mike Soroka very early in what should have 
should mm-hmm. hopefully be a very long career. I, I'm even more worried that we saw the best of Ian Anderson very early in his big league career. And now you're, you know, you're not seeing it. it it's just the concern. It's just how tough it is. Pitching, successful pitching development is half about developing pitchers to get the most out of their ability. But the other half of it, I feel like, is, and I think that there is some real talent to do this, but there's also some luck to it. It's being able to get those guys successfully to a long and healthy career because that's what makes the difference between a Justin Verlander and someone who had a a couple of nice years. And it's just so hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you just... uh... With the Job thing, I think it's just, it's shooting for the upside. Um, we talked about Colt Keith. Got some other names here within the top 10. I'm going to kind of kick it over to you now. Who's another player here in the top 10 that you want to kind of call out and dig in on? I, I want to say Ty Madden because I, I, was, I, I went on record on the day of the draft. Like I, I still believe that Ty Madden is going to end up being a better big leaguer than a number of the guys who were taken in the first, a, large, a significant number of guys taken in the first round. But I do want to talk about Justin Henry Malloy, who I think you also are kind of intrigued by. Mm-hmm. The, one of the key things about Malloy is he's now an outfielder. And that's good because when we talk about, I don't know where Colt Keith's going to play long-term. When I talk about, I don't know where Jace Young's going to play long-term. And I don't think either of them really is probably ever going to be a, I mean, you're, you're, you're hoping for a 45-50, right? At whether it's second or third for either of them, where they can play a valuable defensive position and not slide further down the defensive spectrum. With, with Malloy, I do feel like that his throwing issues at third base were uh, significant enough that like, I think it might help even free him up a little further to just say, just go out there and be a competent corner outfielder. His throwing issues are accuracy issues from third base. I don't think it's really, I think his arm will be fine in the outfield. I don't think it's going to be that kind of issue mm. from the outfield. It's a very different throw. Um, but but now we can just focus more on why we're kind of intrigued by Justin Henry Malloy, which is, I, I think he's just a, a very well-rounded hitter who could end up stepping in and and as early as this year. We like we talk about with Keith, okay, maybe it's a little bit of a transition time and you hope by the second half of the year that he's really kind of kicking in. Malloy's older. Malloy's, you know, a, a guy who I feel like is a little bit more ready to really hit the ground running. And especially because of the polish, the quality of the at bats that he just puts it puts out there going to be a little bit more of an OBP than a pure slug type guy, but he's someone to me who could be, again, could be really interesting, especially now. I do have some hope that focused on a a less challenging defensive position, it may even free him up to be even a little bit better offensively because he has had something he's had to really work on that has now been taken off this plate. Yeah, and I, I just like the combination of, you know, once again, similar to Keith, where it's good bats of ball skills, really good approach. Um, there's power there as well. Not as much actualized as Keith, and I don't think he ever necessarily gets to that same power ceiling. But there is some impact there, enough that, you know, I think he can be a guy who hits for a high average, puts up a really good OBP, you know, 18 to 20 home runs, I don't think is totally out of the question. Um and yeah, we'll be a really see. good player if he hits 18 to 22. You know, so yeah. 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 I think that, you know, the bat is definitely there. We'll see what he can do in the outfield. It was timing issues. You know, I think that he just had a bad internal clock. A lot of stuff was rushed, or, you know, he took an extra second he probably shouldn't have taken. Um, or when he did try to rush throws, he airmailed them. Um, so less of that in the outfield, particularly if you're playing left field. Um, it's just a matter of kind of getting to the bases and, you know, uh, making sure that you scoop and, you know, obviously fly balls and that sort of thing is a big part of it that'll have to take some time to learn. So we'll see, but we've seen it before. We've seen guys like Jaron Duran in recent years move from somewhere like second base to center field and be serviceable in the major leagues, uh, their new position. So 
it's not out of the realm of possibility. But hey, why don't we talk a little bit about Ty Madden? Um, I know that you like Madden, obviously, quite a bit. There's been some tinkering with his operation. I think some arm slot, you know, release arm slot, all these sort of things. So talk about that. This is kind of the second year of some of that development. So how has he progressed? And, you know, you said you even think he could contribute this year. So talk to me about that. The thing that's always stood out to me about Ty Madden is, is something we were talking about with Joe, like the unknown with Joe. Ty Madden has been an extremely durable, reliable starting pitcher for a number of years, going back to when he was a Longhorn. And I think that there is value to that. Now, if it breaks all right for the Tigers, I kind of see him much more as a guy who fits in. You want the Scooballs, the Jobs, you know, maybe it's a Mize or someone else, like ideally one, two, three, and then hello, Ty Madden, your number four, even your number five starter. I don't want to go overboard with it. Like, but I mean that as a number four in a very valuable way because he is a guy who I feel pretty comfortable about being able to hold up over 180 plus innings, durable, strong, maintains velocity. And and I think also the game's coming a little bit back to him because when he was drafted, you said, well, why did he fall as much as he did? It was because he's not, and even with all the adjustments, he's never going to be a guy who's, four elevated four-seam fastballs at the top of the zone, pitch after pitch after pitch. But we're I think we're heading, we're, we're back in a world now where there's a little bit more emphasis on working down in the zone. There's a little bit more emphasis on multiple pitches, less on, I, I, I treat it like I think of pitching and hitting this way. The way I would describe it is, is think of it like antibiotics, right? If you, if you, if you, if a doctor gives you antibiotics for every little thing you ever have, whether it's a virus or it's germs, you lose the effectiveness of those antibiotics start to diminish over the years because the, 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 the germs adapt, they, they figure out, you know, the mutations develop that it become like the, the, the ones that survive are able to handle that penicillin or whatever it is. Right. Well, we've basically just had what I would say is a five-year run of baseball trying everything it can to weed out hitters who can't handle an elevated fastball, right? Because it's been the pitch of the last five years, I would say, especially until we had the crackdowns on sticky stuff. And so what's happened is over the last five years, I would argue that what was good, what was a good elevated fastball five years ago is a, is an okay elevated fastball now, partly because pitchers have gotten better at doing it and teams are selecting pitchers for it. So if you had, you know, what was considered a above average ride, you know, at the top of the zone fastball from a flat plane, in 2018, you know, 2017, now it may be more of an average ride. But on top of that, we've had hitters train over and over and over. There's ways to train to hit an elevated fastball. One is if the pitch is here or higher, just lay off of it. Just accept it's going to end up, that's not a strike. That ball is going to end up out of the zone. Just lay off of it, make them, make them bring it down. But the second part of that is, is that, uh, the training cue that you know that I've heard multiple hitters talk about is try to hit above the ball. You know that you're facing something that your your brain is telling you that the pitch is going to end up here, but in reality it's going to end up a baseball or two above that. Well then, try to get on top of the ball. Try to by trying to by and and again I would say also by picking hitters by selecting hitters the last five years who have a swing that's capable of getting to that pitch, that's, that effectiveness has started to diminish in some ways as I see it, which means that now we have to figure out, okay, it's always point counterpoint, move counter move. I think that we are now to somewhat seeing more of the rise of the sinker and the cutter and trying to figure out pitches that get hitters out different ways. 
the same reason that, you know, we saw, like, I, I think a lot of Tigers have sweepier sliders. Well, that's great. And then what they're also, because we talk about Tigers development, is to have ways to get out same side and when you don't have a platoon advantage, a sweepier slider is a, is a right on right or a left on left pitch much more so than against the, uh, you know, the, uh, if you're a righty and there's a lefty at the, you know, in the box, you don't want to use that pitch as much. Okay. You got to have something else. Tigers, I think are, are one of the teams that do a good job now of making sure, which I would say kind of is, if I want to give credit to someone, it's kind of the Astros approach of the 2016, 17, 18, which was yeah. pretty much every Astros starting pitching prospect had a fastball they could elevate, usually with velo, a curveball, a slider, and a changeup. And it was because they looked at that curveball as being a better platoon neutral pitch, whereas the slider was usually a better same on same pitch. I think the Tigers are doing that too. And I just got really geeky and long winded. And I know you love being as geeky and long-winded about this as I am. So, like, I mean, any thoughts on that or, like, what you're seeing overall, you know, about, you know, kind of where pitching is going? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think you uh, summed it up pretty nicely. You know, I'm obviously not as familiar overall um, with the Tiger system. but I'm saying, though, like, pitching development in general, do you think we're going to see more sliders? The sinkers, I mean, some more sinkers? Yeah, I think that sinkers are coming back into vogue. Um, I also think that there was a point in time where everybody was trying to ride a fastball, and I think the general consensus now sort of understands better that not everybody can throw a four-seam fastball with ride uh, well. Um, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't throw it. I think we're going to see more pitchers with variations on fastballs if they don't have like a plus shape whether it's a sinker or a four seam um and you know i think we're going to see more cutters i think we'll see more cut fastballs from guys and yeah ultimately i think we're going to see more varied uh approach in terms of the arsenals i don't think it's going to be necessarily up and down you know four seam high throw your breaking stuff low or change up low any longer you know you're, you're hearing more and more now about the fastball triangle, which is, is basically throwing a four-seamer, a two-seamer or sinker, and a cutter, and basically trying to throw it the same intent, but just different grips, which, yeah. again, the world does come in a circle because that's something that I remember Alan Jager talking about you know, 20 years ago. I know he probably wasn't the only one, but it's like he was talking about that a long time ago, yeah. and here we are now, and it's kind of a new, like a, a not a new, but it's like a point of emphasis now, I feel like. And that's where I do think that we're seeing more and more of that is the the other part of, you know, the, and that's where I do think the, the, the other guy I did want to touch on, there's two other guys I want to touch on who are outside of the 10, you know, that are yeah. just kind of fun to talk about, but in different ways, which is, I do think that Wilmer Flores, I'm very interested to see what Wilmer Flores looks like this year, because I do feel like that he is the guy who is taking a little bit of a step back and if you, I, you know, if you saw him a couple of years ago, there was a lot to be excited about. But the stuff is kind of backed up a little bit, and we've got to see if he can regain that. So that's the guy who I would say is going to be. This is kind of a a very crucial year for him. And the flip side of that is is that Justice Bigby was probably the most productive player in the Tigers farm system last year. But we want to see. Okay, great year. There's still a lot of like when. He, he's not in the top 10 because I had trouble finding scouts who I trust who saw him who were who are ready to go all in. There's still some concerns that is his approach, it's a very advanced approach, but is his approach going to work against big league pitching? Because it's kind of a, I'm going to, I'm not going to pull fastballs. I'm going to take fastballs the other way. And then if I get a breaking ball, I can pull, I'm going to pull, the, which is again, advanced approach. But there is that concern there that kind of comes back to, okay, but can you do enough? Like, are you going to get eaten up by velocity as you climb the ladder? Velocity in on your hands. Can you do something with that? Or is that kind of a hole that, that you have to figure out a way to plug? Will be, it'll be interesting to see. But those are two guys, I think, beyond the top 10 who are be fascinating to see kind of how their, uh, their seasons develop in 2024. 
Interesting. And, and you saved me even having to ask you a question about some players that interest you outside the top 10. But I'm going to throw one last question at you here. Um, who's the sleeper or potential breakout prospect that we haven't covered yet? Whew. So we like if you talk about a guy who could impact in 24, I might say Keter Montero because I do think that he could help their bullpen in 24. I, I think that that's a that's a guy who has a, a decent likelihood to do so. Um, if that's like a little bit too on the nose, so we already talked a little bit about him. Uh, the, the other guy I would say is, is now this guy's further away. I think there's more, more risk, but cause there are very differing opinions, but I know that there are, if you like Jose Borsenio, the catcher, the big catcher who, uh, then, then you really like him. And there are guys who do, and there are others who are like, I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical, but that's the name I do think that could really pop in, in 24. It's, I saw him down in FCL and it's huge impact. Um, you know, he's a big, big body, uh, definitely looks the part of a power hitter. Um, the swing is really simple, almost like raw simple that, you know, I think some, some progression will probably happen there in the next couple of years. I don't know about him catching just based on what I saw. It was that's, a little rough. That's part of there. the concern, I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because you look at the back end of this 30 and there's so many players that were higher picks, former pro like top prospects, and then some international guys. And it's tough to know what some of those newer international guys, because really we'd have to ask Ben about a lot of those guys. Uh, no, and then I even looking, even looking at the, the 31 to 40, it kind of feels along the same lines. There's nobody that just jumps out as like, oh, this guy could really really surpass expectations the back of this the back of this 30 as i've said i do feel like it's an improved system but the back of it does have of this 30 does have some guys who are i would say they're in the 21 to 30 range and if you were describing this as they're kind of been put on notice right like yeah. peyton graham was drafted quite high quite recently he has to be better. He has to be stronger. He has to get more physical than he was last year. You're willing to right now, and I would say like when you say you're willing, there's always that understanding of, okay, development's not always linear. That mm -hmm. was a set, setback year. Development's not always linear. That being said, if you have two years like that in a row, not I've missed two years because of injury, but two years where you show some clear flaws that need to be improved and they don't improve over two years, time starts running out on your prospect status. And there are a number of guys, there are some, some draftees, there are some international signees, very prominent ones, who I would say fit in that 21 to 30 range where the reality they face is, is that time is running out, starting to run out on them being elite prospects unless there's bounce back seasons not because we're trying to be cruel about it or anything like that that's just the reality that's how baseball works and I, you say that because if again one bad season and then a player comes back from it there are a ton of stories of that two bad seasons in a row in the minors and then the player ends up being a really good big leaguer there aren't there are many fewer versions of that story you you start to take yourself from potential regular to potential role player to potential minor league free agent in a, you know, it, 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 the progression happens relatively quickly if you're not kind of building and, and showing that it, it's a cruel game. It's a game that, that is designed to be in a way that I would say, uh, as opposed to a lot of sports, baseball is a game that your weaknesses get exposed and you have to be able to improve them and fix them. And if not, it is something where if you're a, if you're a hitter, the pitchers are just going to attack that until you fix it. And if you're a pitcher, the same thing about hitters. It is not a game that allows you to get away. It, it exposes your flaws and tells you, okay, now you have to improve that. And there you go. 
Um, talking Tigers prospects, any final thoughts here on this Tiger system before we wrap, wrap this podcast up, JJ? The thing that did stand out, again, I'm just bringing it back kind of full circle on this. The thing that does jump out is if you ask me to describe the, the, the players who the Tigers drafted this year, right? And you say, okay, talk about their 2023 draft this past year, I should say, their 2023 draft. With their hitters, you would almost always start with this guy's a pure hitter. This is a this is a hitter with bat to ball skills and the potential for power. Usually the bat to ball skills are more highly regarded than the power potential. And then you get to, okay, well, what kind of athlete is this player? How much defensive impact is this player gonna have? They may play premium positions, but most of them you would say Kevin McGonagall, Max Anderson, you know, you would say that these players, you would say they have a potential to play and up the middle position, but they're going to have to put in a good bit of work to stay there. And so if you put that all together, that's a, again, that's just such a difference. It is a, it is the, the, the Tigers have turned around a, a cruise ship, which takes a long time to do, but they really have changed their philosophy of what they're looking for. Whereas if you rewound the clock five years ago when they were taking, and again, I'm not trying to pick on guys, but the recently retired Nick Quintana, for instance, they were taking players who you would say the, the attributes that would jump out the most with their position players were usually, they were great defenders, they were athletic, and then you would say, how well do they hit? And they would say, well, that's going to be the question. I would say that that was kind of true on some of their international signings as well. I do feel like that they've very much kind of changed and you can overtack that way. You know, we've had, we've been doing a lot of these top 10, you know, these podcasts and like you talk about the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays emphasize hitters, you know, college hitters in their drafts. And the problem we have is we look around and say, there's there's not a whole lot of impact here. There's not a whole lot of players with sixes and sevens on their cards in any scenario. And that's where we've changed here. But the Tigers, and you could go overboard, but it's one of those things where if you think of it as they're tacking back, and so like where they are right now, I think it does kind of make sense for them to emphasize that, and we'll see how that now pays off. Absolutely. That's a nice way to wrap up the Tigers podcast. This is for Jeff Ponce with JJ Cooper. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and liking, subscribing on all the different podcast feeds. Uh, always appreciate that. And of course, to all subscribers, thank you for all that you do. It allows us to do this. So on that note, have a great week. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details